In the age of ancients, the world was unformed, shrouded by fog. A land of grey crags, arch trees and everlasting dragons. But then there was fire, and with fire came disparity. Heat and cold, life and death, and of course light and dark. Then from the dark, they came, and found the souls of lords within the flame. Hold up, this is this is the wrong... This is the script for the Dark Souls opening. Has, has anyone seen the Philosopher Raga? Uh, can't get the stuff. Uh, aha. <clears throat> right, welcome to Philosopher Raga, the podcast all about video games and philosophy. And now a member of the Littlefella Media Podcast Network sponsored by Buzzsprout. What do you know? In this episode, we're discussing rationalism, an old and well-trodden idea about how we gain knowledge. In short, rationalism says that we can gain meaningful and significant knowledge and concepts from things other than what our senses tell us about the external world. What does this mean exactly? We'll get there. For those who haven't played Dark Souls, you might be familiar with it through all the memes about how darn hard it is. It's pretty hard. You die. A lot. Before I ever played a Souls game, I had a pretty strong image of what playing one would look like. A complex and tactical source of action, in which picking your position and taking the right opportunities could make all the difference between success and very sudden death. And the latter would happen pretty frequently. And I think I also knew there were two bosses called Ornsman and Smoffles who were like even more harder than how hard most of the super hard bosses were. This is actually interesting and relevant in itself, I reckon. In the information age, we can get all kinds of knowledge in all sorts of ways, including second-hand accounts of things we haven't experienced for ourselves. There's like loads of stuff that I know that I would never have been able to know if I'd had to find out for myself, including some stuff that I first learned on the internet and then experienced firsthand much later. We've given some consideration in recent episodes to how we might define knowledge, and we've looked at one suggested definition, justified true belief. Although there are problems with JCB, as we've covered, it's a useful and relatively simple framework from which we can start thinking about knowledge, so we'll mostly stick with it for now. To be a rationalist is basically to be someone who thinks that knowledge can be gained, that is to say, you can form a true belief and justify it, without having had any direct or sensory experience of the object of that knowledge. This in philosophy circles is called a priori knowledge. Knowledge gained through experience is called a posteriori. You might also hear a priori and a posteriori, but I just, uh, those are harder for me to say, so I'm going with a priori. Remember, again, that when we talk about knowledge here, we're mostly talking about propositional knowledge, which is knowledge that something is the case. You can also know about something in the sense of being familiar with it, or know how to do something, but in our introduction to epistemology, we're mostly concerned with how we come to know propositions. So, that said, how does a priori knowledge work? How are we supposed to come to the knowledge that a proposition is true without being able to experience it directly? Well, according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which is an absolutely fantastic free online resource on all philosophical matters, if you're a rationalist, then essentially you're asserting one or more of the following three things. First, the thesis of intuition and deduction, which says that some propositions are knowable purely by intuition. It also says that once we've come to know some propositions intuitively, we can deduce knowledge about other propositions from the ones we've intuited. That sounds weird. To make sense of this, it might be helpful to give some definitions. Intuition here means that we, we just sort of know something. 
We think about a thing and just somehow clearly see a truth in it which constitutes a justified true belief. How this works, if it does at all, depends on the individual rationalist. Deduction is the process of forming valid arguments. Famously, an example of a deductive argument goes something like this. Premise 1. Socrates is a man. Premise 2. All men are mortal. Conclusion. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. That's a valid deductive argument. It's one where, assuming that the premises are true, the conclusion has to be true. Of course, a lot of times the argument gets into trouble on whether the premises are actually true, but the point is that to say that an argument is valid means that when the premises are true, the conclusion is also definitely true. So that's intuition and deduction. Some things are knowable because we can just know about them through intuition, by intuiting them. Other things are knowable because we can use the things that we know from intuition to form premises and form a valid argument to reach a justified conclusion. Second, the thesis of innate knowledge. This one says that just as part of being rational beings, there are some things we just know. This sounds the same as intuition, but it's not quite the same. Intuition involves at least engaging with an idea in some way, and going through an intellectual process in order to grasp some sort of knowledge that you didn't have before. Innate knowledge, meanwhile, doesn't require any work whatsoever. You just have it, just by virtue of being a thing capable of thinking. That said, sometimes you have to have innate knowledge nudged a little bit before you realise you've got it. I mentioned Plato's Dialogue of the Mino in an earlier episode. In that, Socrates has to give Mino's slave boy a bit of a nudge before he can work out that actually he already knows how geometry works. As with intuition, the mechanics of how innate knowledge works and how it got in our brains varies from rationalist to rationalist. Third, the thesis of innate concepts. This says that some of the mental concepts we have aren't gained through experience, we just have them. It's slightly different from the thesis of innate knowledge because a concept tends not to be a proposition so much as a kind of intellectual familiarity with the thing. So, intuition and deduction, innate knowledge, innate concepts. For all three of these claims, there are degrees. A radical rationalist is someone who asserts more extreme versions of one or more of these claims. So if you were to come across someone who claimed that all people have innate knowledge about all propositions in every area of knowledge, you'd be reasonable to think they were holding an unusually radical position. A more moderate rationalist, along the lines of well-known 17th century philosopher John Locke, might suggest something like, we have some innate concepts, but can only have a priori knowledge to a very limited degree and only where it relates to those specific concepts. So that was all kind of intense and lots of nitty-gritty words, and really all we've established from that is that rationalists think you can have some sort of a priori knowledge. Individual rationalists might be more or less committed to how much knowledge we can have independently of experience, or how reliable that knowledge can be, but basically rationalism is defined by being committed to the claim that we can in fact know stuff without having to experience it, and that reason, or being rational, is what makes this possible. You'll also tend to find that a rationalist might believe that reason is indispensable or superior to experience, that if we can gain knowledge a priori, then in fact we couldn't have got the same knowledge through experience, or at least it would somehow have been an inferior kind of knowledge than the one that we get when we use our mighty reason. Rationalism is a big topic within philosophy, but it can be really difficult to grasp, and it's definitely hard to explain. It's hard to think of examples of knowledge that can be gained without experience at all. Even if I talk about having acquired some second-hand knowledge about Dark Souls, I got it by experiencing things like videos, written texts, spoken words. 
In other words, I experienced someone telling me about it. I didn't just gain that knowledge independently of no experience whatsoever. That said, I definitely formed images and ideas in my mind about bits of Dark Souls that I'd never actually experienced, and then later on discovered that the scenes in my imagination were fairly accurate representations of what happened in the game. Whether this counts as a priori knowledge is up for debate, but it's the best example I've got right now. So let's stop talking about real life, because who's got time for real life, and talk about Dark Souls? Within the universe of Dark Souls, there are... Well, there are a few things going on, I, th I think that's fair to say. There was an Age of Ancients, where everything was sort of grey, and there was pretty much nothing except giant trees and giant dragons, and then the first flame appeared and the Age of Fire began. One day the flame will go out and the Age of Darkness will begin, but... Well, that's another story. Four beings called the Lords came out of the dark that was created when the first flame kicked off light and shadow. They found really strong, mighty souls in the first flame, or near it depending on your localization. And with those souls, they became, like, super badass. Gods, even. Well, three of them did, anyway. The humblest of the four lords, the furtive pygmy, didn't take a big old powerful soul like the others. He claimed the littlest one, the dark soul, and he used it to create humanity. In the world of Dark Souls, all humans possess a little black sprite thing called a humanity. Usually when we use the word humanity, it's a collective noun meaning, like, all humans. In Dark Souls, a humanity is one very specific thing. You can actually collect humanity in the game, and you can get a whole bunch of humanities? Humanity items? I don't know how to pluralise it, but the point is you can get a lot. This is worth doing because it achieves a couple of things. It increases the drop rate of some items, it allows you to power up certain useful things, and it can be spent to reverse hollowing. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, in Dark Souls you're undead. You play as an undead person, and the undead are doomed to become something called hollow over time unless they can keep themselves supplied with a steady flow of humanity humanities. Becoming a hollow seems to make most undead lose their will, their sense of self, and become zombified, violent, and aimless. Not so much the player character, perhaps because they have a goal and some serious determination behind them, but for most non-player characters, going hollow is basically becoming a mindless zombinoid. While the player character won't do this because it would be really annoying to play as a character who had just lost their mind completely and wouldn't listen to anything you said, being hollow still isn't ideal. In the first Dark Souls game, it prevents you from summoning helpful allies, while in the second, it lowers your max health pretty significantly. So it's worth trying to avoid if you can. In fact, there are some lore theorizers who suggest that going hollow is basically what happens to the player character when the player gets frustrated and gives up, which is a source of meta-narrative I really like, but we won't consider it too much here. Anyway, while in gameplay terms the exact implications of hollowing for the player character are a little bit complicated, it seems as if the overall state of affairs in the Dark Souls universe is that there is a thing, a humanity, which bestows beings with the ability to be rational humans. It's almost as if the knowledge of how to be human is represented by an actual physical object which is innately in everyone, huh? See, I, I got to a point in the end, kinda. More than that, though, it seems as if a bunch of characters in the Dark Souls universe have a kind of unassailable knowledge that doesn't seem to have been gained through experience. Anytime a character makes some vague statement, which they do a lot, about great world-changing events from the lore in the past or future, odds are they weren't there, and yet they seem to know what's going on anyway. Plenty of them are lying, of course. The player character themselves, though, is enormously determined to collect all the Lord Souls and progress to the Kiln of the First Flame, despite, as far as I can tell, having no experience by which they could possibly know that this is a thing that should or even could be done. 
then there's how we interact with the story itself. If I've been explaining the lore of Dark Souls in slightly vague terms, that's because I've never actually experienced the lore of Dark Souls for myself. Nobody has, really. Dark Souls doesn't present its plots or its backstory in the way most stories do, which is to say, you're not there for it and it doesn't really tell you much at all up front. In fact, dedicated players have had to piece together the specifics of what happened in the world from snippets of information. There are short notes in the descriptions of items, you can cross-reference hints from obscure bits of dialogue, there are even clues just from the way that environments are put together and where particular characters, enemies or items can be found. A casual player can make it all the way through a Dark Souls game without ever really knowing who they're meeting, who they're fighting, or why they're doing it. You'll just be all like, Whoa, look at that dragon! Ah, oh, I'm dead. Do that 70 or 80 more times until you get to, Whoa, look at that dragon! Oh, it's dead! And you won't really have much of a conception of where the dragon came from, what its role in the events of the world was, or why it was so set on killing you over and over again. Even if you did read the item descriptions and paid attention to what you were told about the dragon and where it lives, you might only get as far as having a vague sense that it's, like, super old or something. I don't think I can come up with another example of a story that's so heavily predicated on the philosophy of just letting the player figure it out for themselves, which was source of the intention behind the game. The creator of Dark Souls, Hidetaka Miyazaki, reportedly said that the inspiration for telling the story this way came from his childhood love of storybooks in English. Many of them had extensive sections in language he wasn't able to understand, so his imagination had to fill the gaps. Here too, there are huge empty spaces to be filled, and the players left to find whatever hints they can to put the pieces together. I don't think anyone was born with innate knowledge of Dark Souls, although Bearsley, the guy who completed it using a Wiimote, a dance mat, and some bongos, among other things. And actually, I think there might be someone on YouTube who did it with a banana, somehow. Anyway, if anyone was born with innate knowledge of anything, Bearsley somehow came out of the womb knowing how to play Dark Souls. Most of us normies, though, had to learn it by experience. We had to play a lot, die a lot, and eventually make some sweet progress. And then die again. I also think that for most players, the conception they have of the world of Dark Souls, the cosmos and the lore beyond what you directly interact with in the game itself, is formed mostly through intuition and deduction. You grasp these things in an abstract way, maybe you form some concrete conclusions, or maybe you just find your mind pulling strings together to weave a vague image you don't fully understand. Either way, none of us has actually experienced the wider universe of Dark Souls. We're sort of like the people in Plato's cave, watching the shadows the fire casts on the wall and hoping that they're reality. So what do you think? Are there things we can know just completely independently of experience? If so, then what? And how? If you've got a good answer to those questions, you're doing better than probably all the philosophers ever. Hit me up on Twitter at overthinkery1, or on the emails at philosopheraga at gmail.com. Or just take it to the philosophy department of any university, I'm sure they'll be thrilled to hear that there are answers. Next time we'll look at empiricism, which is often considered something of an opposite to rationalism. If you're an empiricist, then you basically just think everything we know is down to experience. This might not sound that contentious, but, well, we'll, we'll get into it. Before I leave you for this episode, I have an extremely cool announcement. My debut published novel, Each Little Universe, will be released in both Kindle and paperback formats on April the 30th, which is probably either not very long after you're listening to this episode, or in the past. It would mean the world to me if you would go and check that out, and I'm giving away some free copies. See my Twitter at overthinkery1 or chrisdurston.com for more details. That's chris, D-U-R-S-T-O-N, dot com. 
Each little universe is, I think, sort of like the novel that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman might have come up with if they'd been writing in the ridiculous world of Scott Pilgrim. And it's about a lot of stuff, but it explores most of that stuff by being super nerdy. So if you like what I'm doing on this show, then you might well like each little universe. Also, the cover art is fantastic, and it's by none other than Blythe Norton, aka the Whiteout Mage, aka Mrs. the Well Red Mage. She was absolutely fantastic, so if you need art done for anything, I highly recommend hiring Blythe. Anyway, that's Each Little Universe by me, Chris Durston, out April the 30th. And while I'm at it, you know what? Thank you. Yeah, you. I might not be a huge, like, megastar or whatever on the internet, but there are enough of you out there who indulge me by enjoying the weird stuff that I make that I get to keep doing it and having a really good time with it. So I'm really, really grateful to all of you always. That said, take care of yourself, stay safe, and I will see you next time. Thank you ever so much for joining me for this episode of Philosophy Raga. It's written, edited, and produced by me, Chris Durston, with invaluable help from consulting producer Moses Norton. All the music that you hear in the show is by me, and the show's logo is by Moses Norton with graphic design from By Wisdom Designs. That's Bly, that's the one who did my cover. Hire her, she's great. The show is part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network, sponsored by Buzzsprout, which is awesome and means that there are a whole bunch more shows out there that you would definitely love, so check them out. The Well Red Mage's dream of a better future for gaming discussion and community is made possible by your support, so please do give Philosophy Raga a like, follow, review, or share. Tag people you think would enjoy the show, yell about it in the streets. Actually, maybe don't do that at the moment because we're in lockdown. Yell about it on the internet. Spread the word. I'll love you forever. And if you consider supporting me and the Well Red Mage with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com slash thewellredmage, I will personally turn into an undead warrior and wage an unending assault on giants and dragons and flaming old men and stuff and die repeatedly pursuing glory for you. This flame is turning to embers for now, but the fire of wisdom never dies. Bye-bye. My name is Katie Cakes, and I am the host of Cake Bites, a podcast adventure through gaming history. I am just inviting you to come along with me on that journey while I interview people who have worked in and around the industry for the last 30 plus years to learn about their experiences and their perspectives to learn more about an industry that is continuously evolving. I hope you guys will join me every two weeks when I release a new episode of the show on all major podcasting platforms. You can learn more about the show at kickbites.com. Hello everyone, this is Ryan from Retro Game Brewers, and I'm here to talk to you about an entertaining new weekly video game podcast from Blue Williams, The Well-Read Mage, and myself, called Story Mode. We break down the most recent news in gaming, provide our opinions, and debate whenever necessary. Our opinions aren't always the most popular, but these are our stories and we're sticking to them. Story Mode is a part of the Little Fellow Media Network and is sponsored by Buzzsprout and is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Story Mode. Stay a while and listen.